Hello, and welcome to another episode of Some Random Thoughts. I am your host, Ryan Wolkowski, and on today's program, I am going to be talking about sexuality and autonomy. So really what you're going to hear is a few things. Number one, you're going to hear about kind of like my background on my beliefs when it came to sexuality and bodily autonomy, and then I'll talk a little bit more about what the concept of bodily autonomy is and things that we need to know when it comes to sex and some of the right thinking and wrong thinking that comes with that depending on a whole host of beliefs and factors. Um, We'll talk about the need for all of us to be LGBTQ affirming, especially straight allies. And then we're going to be talking about some of the problems that we see uh, today in society when it comes to sexuality. So I hope you'll take a listen. So like I said, first, before I get started, I always want to mention that I appreciate anyone and everyone that listens and has been supportive of the podcast. I really appreciate all the listens. I appreciate the feedback. I appreciate the support. And just know that I'm very excited to be able to soon wrap up this season and to continue to figure out what I want the podcast to be like moving forward and it takes a lot of discernment and it takes a lot of thinking and reflection so I don't have any answers right now but I hope to have some soon and I want to thank you lastly for being cooperative as I've been not releasing these episodes on quite the time frame that I wanted to but just know that every episode will be aired by the end of November, and then after that, you can take a listen to all of the episodes, season one through four, wherever you get your podcast, and you can check out seasons two and three also on my YouTube channel. Just search for my name, Ryan Mulkowski, and they'll all be there. So on today's program, like I said, I'm going to be talking about a subject I'm not fully comfortable with talking about, actually. I don't have a problem with it. It's just that I'm not super knowledgeable. Out of all the things I'm fairly knowledgeable about the concept of sexuality and autonomy is something that I feel like I'm not that well versed in but the reason I want to talk about it is largely in part because of my journey from being a non-affirming LGBTQ plus individual to an affirming LGBTQ plus ally and I want to talk about kind of some of the detriments of certain fundamentalist or conservative thinking, especially in the evangelical Christian church, aka purity culture, my personal experiences with purity culture, my struggles with sexuality, 
in understanding what sex was for me because of purity culture, which I think is kind of important because we don't hear a lot of male perspectives on purity culture. We hear mostly female. Now, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. And we need more and more individuals, especially female individuals, to be able to talk about their experiences with purity culture. But we don't hear a lot of guys talk about it. So, like I said, I want to share a little bit of my story with it. And then lastly, I just want to be able to reflect on a more healthy sexual ethic for all people. A one that is inclusive, but one that includes certain concepts that I think are important in order to have a healthy, a healthy view of sex and also to be able to practice sex in a way that is mutually beneficial for yourself and the person or persons that you choose to engage in sex with. So that's kind of like what we'll be talking about. So obviously this is not super safe <laughs> when it comes to the conversation. So your children don't need to be listening <laughs> to this uh, necessarily. This is not geared toward children or to adolescents at all. This is definitely geared toward adults. So while a lot of my episodes are clean and a lot of my episodes your children can probably listen to and it'd be totally fine, this is not one of those episodes. So if you're listening to this and there are children present around you, you're going to need to listen to it on your own privately or with other adults. But just wanted to put that disclaimer out there before we go any further because I do not want to get complaints. Oh, I was listening to your podcast and my child was in the backseat and uh, now my child knows all this stuff. Um, well, you have your warning. The first thing I want to talk about is I'm going to talk about my story a little bit. And I want to talk about kind of how my views have evolved on sex, how my perspectives have evolved, how... I came from where I was to where I am today on the subject. And then we'll talk a little bit more about the concepts of like bodily autonomy. We'll talk about the reasons why we need to be LGBTQ plus affirming. We'll need to talk about what it means to actually have a healthy sexual um, philosophy and practice. And then we'll end the program. So, <coughs> excuse me. First of all, I'm battling kind of the normal illnesses <coughs> excuse me that happen when you're kind of in the fall and in the winter and as you all know COVID has been ramping up the flu's been ramping up RSV and other things have been ramping up so I've been fighting mild illness and so if you hear the occasional cough or me trying to grab a drink of ginger ale please forgive me you know, I know it's not super professional, but, you know, I'm trying my best here. Okay, so my views on sex. So obviously I was raised independent fundamentalist Baptist and then evangelical Christian, specifically Southern Baptist. From the time I was eight years old up until I left the Southern Baptist Church, which would have been around my mid-20s. So long time. And not only did I go to independent fundamentalist and Southern Baptist churches and was a minister in two Southern Baptist churches, but I also went to independent fundamentalist Baptist Christian school from sixth grade to 12th grade and also did a semester at an IFB, <coughs> excuse me, Christian college. So 
have extensive lived experience in those camps. So for anyone that's like, oh, you know, he doesn't know what he's talking about. Well, like I said, I've been in those camps for a long time. And so I have, like I said, pretty extensive experience, even though people will continue to discredit me and my background and my experience because it doesn't fit their narrative or their beliefs. Mm -hmm. But that's on them. That's not on me. Okay, so with that disclaimer, obviously, I was raised to believe that sex was only supposed to be between one man and one woman for life in the in the in the balance of marriage. And so And so whenever I was taught that, it became ingrained, right? And and I became indoctrinated with that belief and that's, you know, going to be par for the course whenever you're a child and you're impressionable and you're learning. So for me, having kind of the standard that was set up by the church of one man, one woman in marriage for life was pretty restricting, right? But it was also pretty specific. It was kind of like this easy thing to understand conceptually, like, okay, you don't have sex at all. You were supposed to remain chaste unless you are with an opposite partner, gendered partner in the marriage relationship. Then you can have all the sex that you want. But you can't have anything outside of that. So no premarital sex, no extramarital sex, no having multiple partners, nothing like that. So obviously that was what I was raised to believe. So obviously that's what I did my best to practice. But unfortunately, with purity culture, my experiences were, there were not that many times where purity culture was really rammed down my throat, but there were a couple of times where we did like the purity culture balls where we use the True Love Weights program. That's the program I remember. There were others that have mentioned other purity culture programs or purity culture curriculums, but the one we used was True Love Weights. And I remember having to go through the program and then I remember they did this like reception where the parents accompanied the teenagers to this purity ball and the pastor would give a sermon and I think we did some worship songs and then there was this ceremony where everybody who made it through the True Love Weights program got like this card which basically I think I don't remember what the card had exactly but it had your name and it said you know went through the True Love Weights program and I think it had a couple scripture verses and then I had some like rules for like being chaste or rules for being pure as it were. And then you received a ring and your parents put the ring on you. And I don't exactly understand the symbolism behind it. It's creepy and weird, but the ring was meant to be um, something that you wore all the time on your ring finger, right? On your left um, ring finger. So eventually where your wedding band would go if you got married. But as long as you wore the purity ring, it was supposed to be a reminder that you are not to have sex with anybody until you get married. And then once you do, you can take the purity ring off and then you can put your actual wedding ring on. And I think a lot of people actually did these ceremonies during their engagement and then marriage where, especially for the, um, for the, for the woman traditionally, because the woman wears an engagement ring before they wear a wedding ring, whereas um, men typically, traditionally, do not wear an engagement ring before a wedding ring. So for the woman, it was like, 
when the man proposed, it was like the woman would take off the, I've heard some like that they would take off the purity ring and put on the engagement ring. And then I've heard some say, well, they actually kept the purity ring on and put the engagement ring on top because you're not even supposed to have sex in the engagement phase of a relationship. It has to be in marriage. So I've heard a lot of different things. Well, I'm a guy, so it didn't matter regardless, but I did wear a purity ring for a long time. And then I stopped wearing it because I just felt like it was lame. Even when I was like a diehard, intense, full-on Christian, I came to a point where like I wore it in middle school pretty much and then in high school kind of and then I just stopped wearing it when I was in high school one day and I don't know exactly what the motivation was but it was like oh you know I don't want to wear this anymore um regardless though purity culture maybe not in the most formal form but definitely if you went to youth group for any period of time you were going to hear your youth pastor or youth leader talk about sex and a lot of what you were going to get in conservative evangelicalism was going to be the following don't have sex end of statement <laughs> no it goes further than that but basically the main thrust of the message was don't have sex sex is bad if you have sex when you're not married then you become impure no one's going to want to be with you there was also this crazy concept of soul ties and that when you get married, you your the two souls become one, and you're forever connected to that person, regardless of what happens. And so, if you keep on having sex with people, it's like you keep on having these emotional soul ties with them that can't be broken, no matter what. There's absolutely no evidence of that anyway. And I'm an atheist, so I don't even believe in the concept of a soul. But even if you do, which is you know all well and good, it's your personal beliefs. It just doesn't make sense. <coughs> souls can't be tied because souls are not material things okay they're immaterial things and so if you believe in the existence of a soul that is and so it's just doesn't make any sense um obviously emotions are involved in the sexual relationship but it's not anything that can't be processed if two people decide or more two or more people decide to have sex with each other and then they decide we're not gonna have sex with each other they're not permanently connected for the rest of their lives emotionally that that's just not true at all you can ask anybody that's had a breakup or an ending of a relationship or ending of an engagement or marriage or anything if they've had sex while they were in relationship together and then they're no longer in relationship they can process their emotions and move on from the relationship and move on to something else we even see this happen in the most quote-unquote pure way according to conservative evangelicals of people who get married and then one of them is widowed you know conservative evangelicals will always make the exception well if you get married and then you're widowed then you can have sex with somebody again somehow soul ties don't factor in to that scenario but it does in everything else and then even christians have let up on people that have gotten divorced most christians that is they're there are some Christians that are hardcore and, excuse me, still want to um, say that divorce is, is wrong and you can't get divorced, which is utter garbage. But they say that if um, 
you know, the ones that are lax. Okay, you can get divorced, and if you get remarried, you can have sex, and there's no soul ties. It's weird. That's what I'm saying. Like, none of, like, purity culture and none of conservative evangelical teaching on sex is compatible in any way, shape, or form to actual lived experience, actual science, actual psychology of of the mind and human relationships and human behavior and, and any of that there's just there's just no evidence for it it's all completely made up constructs um that are just perpetuated by the church without any kind of critical thinking into what the church is saying the thing about sex in general in conservative evangelicalism is that there's really no basis for it there's maybe a couple of verses here and there where it talks about, you know, there should be, you know, one man and one woman. But even then, that's dubious at best, because if you look at the original translations, it, it might say that. <coughs> but when we look at the canon of Scripture, especially the Old Testament, there were not monothe uh, monotheistic, uh, monogamous relationships. There were a lot of um, relationships where there were plenty of people together so what do you do with those well some people will excuse it and go oh well you know those aren't good examples okay well you know, tell me what a good example is right and then they'll go back to the one man one woman thing i don't know why they're they're so hung up on that they're hung up on it because they think it's maybe reflecting created order because they go back to adam and eve because they believe that the adam and eve myth is true right so Everything is predicated on myths and stuff and narratives and constructs and things like that. So as long as they buy into all of those things, then they got to make everything fit. Is there evidence for it? No. Are they still going to believe it? Yeah. Why? Lots of different reasons. One is because it benefits them. Two, because they feel morally superior to it. Three, because they feel like it's reflecting quote-unquote created order which is not a thing that really exists for because they feel like it's easy to understand because oh penis vagina goes into each other so just because like that works that means like no other expression of sex is is valid which listen procreation is all well and good but first of all you don't have to procreate if you don't want to and procreation should not be a requirement for having sex. And two, even if you want to procreate, you can find other ways to have children that doesn't involve penis, vagina, um, and then sperm going in, and then a sperm eventually linking up with an egg, and then fertilizing, and then growing into a fetus, then being birthed as a human. So that, that doesn't really follow either. But some people will hang their hats on that as evidence. It's, it's not evidence. But, you know, this was a much longer rant than I thought about my experiences with purity culture and, and, and my ideas of sex. Needless to say, my ideas of sex changed. And needless to say, I struggled with sex for my entire childhood development because... I was always told if I felt any sexual urges, any sexual attraction, any sexual desire, that it was wrong, that it was sinful. So I'm having these urges 
attractions, desires that are perfectly normal and a part of the human development process, but I'm being told they're not normal. Therefore, I'm constantly feeling sinful. Like I'm constantly feeling like I'm failing no matter how holy or chaste I try to be. I still am attracted to women. I still have sexual attraction. I still wanted to be with women in a sexual way. But because I was always beating myself and telling myself I was wrong, I was having very uncomfortable relationship with the concept of sex and with having sex. Um, but a lot of people struggle with that. And a lot of people still deal with this really difficult understanding of what sex is because of the indoctrination that they receive as children and adolescents in their most vulnerable times of development where they need to be encouraged to have healthy views of sex. They are discouraged from having that and are encouraged to completely suppress any desire whatsoever and to follow very strict constructs that are not even proven uh, to be true. I've spoken with countless individuals who have left conservative evangelical or independent fundamentalist or any kind of high control religion. And almost all of them have said that they have had issues one time or the other with the concept of sex, that they struggled with understanding what it was because they were never taught it or because they didn't believe it, or even if they were exposed to alternative teaching or healthy views of sex, their church constantly reinforced how that was bad and what they taught was good. So a lot of people struggled with that. And I've talked to some who said that they struggled with their gender identity, they, gen they struggled with their sexual um, identity or sexual attraction, and a lot of them fell into depression into suicide because they were trying to be something that they were not, where they were trying to suppress normal, natural urges that were there. Um, and anytime you try to suppress what's normal and natural um, over a long period of time, or you get a dysmorphia um, or a, um, a dysregulated view of yourself, mm -hmm. then you're going to fall into depression and suicidal thought. And it's horrible. A lot of people go through that um, because they're so afraid of failing Jesus or God or whatever their deity or their prophet is that they're willing to literally suffer and be stuck in intense emotional and mental illness for the sake of trying to follow ancient doctrine that doesn't even follow logically at all. It's a shame and we need to start promoting in any kind of house of worship, in any kind of religion. We need to not allow the facts that come from science and reason and from all of the fields that do inquiry to be dismissed purely on the sake of a sacred text that for some reason is not allowed to be investigated or criticized or evaluated in any way, shape or form. So moving on, the concept of bodily autonomy is a fundamental right and the United Nations has actually written about this. 
which has been great. And I'm going to have the link in the description as always. But bodily autonomy is a fundamental right, according to the United Nations. And bodily autonomy, according to the article, bodily autonomy means my body is for me and my body is my own. It's about power. It's about agency. It's about choice. And it's about dignity. Bodily autonomy is the foundation for gender equality, and above all, it's a fundamental right. The reason why the United Nations has talked about this is because in many parts of the world, including some parts of the United States, women and girls do not have the right to make decisions about their own bodies. We're seeing that play out in real time, unfortunately, with the overturning of Roe versus Wade, and how close to half of the states in the United States do not allow for abortion past a certain time frame, which means we have taken the fundamental right of bodily autonomy away from women and girls who should be having the choice with themselves and a medical professional with nobody else interfering, including the government, on what they want to do with their body. And unfortunately, that's happening. And unfortunately, more and more women and girls are facing violence, discrimination, or coercion because of decisions that they want to make and they're having lack of decision now and there are no benefits to suppressing the decision of bodily autonomy it actually shows that um if you suppress the concept of bodily autonomy for women and girls you're actually not promoting the efficacy and the ability for women and girls to be able to sustain themselves and to thrive and to actually be full fully developed and fully flourishing human beings. A sad statistic that this article mentions is one in five countries have laws on the books preventing women and young people from accessing contraceptives without the permission of their husbands or parents. That's another big issue that we are having in our country is young people's ability to be able to access contraception, whether that's birth control, condoms, any other means of contraception. We need to have that accessible and available. We'll talk a little bit about that at the end. Um, but we have to overcome this, mind, like I said, the mindsets and the attitudes that have been ingrained in our society and specifically in the United States where evangelical conservative Christianity kind of rules the roost as the quote-unquote superior religion and all other expressions of faith are secondary. We need to continue to dismantle the negative and dangerous attitudes and mindsets that are happening and to allow for and advocate for comprehensive sex education. <clears throat> What's interesting is that there are many parts of the United States where comprehensive sex education is not allowed. There are even some parts of the states where even in public schools, they are not teaching comprehensive sex education, but they're teaching abstinence-only education. And while abstinence is the quote-unquote best way to prevent pregnancy, it is not a comprehensive or healthy sexual ethic is to tell people to be abstinent-only. Now, if people want to choose and self-determine for themselves to be abstinent, that's one thing. But to not give people a choice... And to only teach one perspective on sex is not fully encouraging bodily autonomy. 
So we need to promote for the continued rights of bodily autonomy for women and for all of us, but especially for women, because women get the brunt of the bad legislation that has been going on with the overturning of Roe versus Wade and a lot of the trigger laws going into effect. There are major concerns and massive concerns of women even being able to access the rights to contraception and to abortion. Uh, another article that I want to talk about is from Healthline, and I, I love Healthline. It's a really good resource. Um, there's actually a, um, I'm not going to go dive eat, into it, but there's an article called 47 Terms That Describe Sexual Attraction, Behavior, and Orientation. So if you're like me and you're kind of like, I am not exactly sure, or I don't have a lot of language, or I don't have a lot of learning, or a, a comprehensive view of what sex is, <coughs> this is a really good article. It's a pretty comprehensive article, and it talks a lot about all of the different terms that you would need to know or you would have heard or things of, of that nature. You can learn a lot from reading this article, and I'm going to link that article in my um, the show notes as well because I think it's important that we all try to gain really good education around that. Last thing I want to talk about is the need for improving the lives and rights of lgbtq people in america there's an article with that title by the center for american progress talking about how we need to commit to advancing lgbtq equality and the article says that it's going to require undoing the harms caused during the four years of the trump administration and generations before of just overall discrimination and then also proactively championing a progressive agenda we need a progressive agenda because a progressive agenda is what's inclusive. LGBTQ plus individuals have not had their rights honored for the longest time. And there's only been recently when um, LGBTQ individuals have had certain rights. We've seen the rollback during the Trump administration of those rights. And we have seen the Biden administration try to overturn some of the things that were um happening during the Trump administration, but we need more progress when it comes to advocating for the rights of LGBTQ plus people. Moving on just before, beyond <coughs> legal rights of LGBTQ plus people are the ethical implications of LGBTQ plus allyship. <coughs> Excuse me, I'm not going to have time, unfortunately, to dive into a defense for LGBTQ plus allyship, and I certainly don't have time to talk about it from a Christian perspective, but there are resources that you can look for that promote um, in the Christian faith a LGBTQ plus affirming and allyship stance on allowing these pers allowing persons in that community to have full-fledged privileges and rights and to be seen for exactly who they are and to affirm them uh, but listen i'm an atheist now so i don't really have a dog in the fight when it comes to trying to defend a healthy lgbtq plus ethic from a christian perspective i'm just going to defend it from a humanist perspective and as a humanist it's really simple everyone is deserving of equal rights everyone is deserving of dignity and worth and that includes providing dignity and worth to LGBTQ plus people. So not discriminating, discriminating them in any way, shape, or form, including in marriage and in sex, that they have just as much rights to have 
sex however they want and to be married if they want to be married as opposed to heterosexual individuals. It's pretty simple. I could do a separate episode on how I come to defend that, but honestly, to me, it's common sense. An LGBTQ plus individual, a person in that community, is a human just like I'm a human. And just because I'm a heterosexual human doesn't mean I am more special or deserve special rights or am superior in any way, shape, or form to that person. We are equals because we are both human, we both inhabit dignity and self-worth, and we both need to have full-fledged rights. (coughs) Pretty simple for me. Listen, time is already wrapping up. Episode went a lot longer than I thought, but I could, I guess I could talk about it longer than I might have felt comfortable with. Listen, all the articles I mentioned will be in the show notes. Feel free to read those to educate yourself on this subject. If there's anything that you want to add, anything I might have missed or anything you think is important, please leave comments in the following places. You can leave leave me a message on Twitter and Instagram at Ryan Wolkowski. You can go to ryanwolkowski.com, go to the contact page and email me that way. Just send me a message or you can go to the podcast page on my website, scroll down to the bottom and do an audio message. You can leave a message and I can add your message to a future episode. So please... Give me some feedback. I know I probably just did some highlights and I know I didn't cover anything comprehensively and I know I probably missed things. So please, please, please comment if you will. And um, just thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for making it through the insufferable coughing and me not feeling 100%. But I still appreciate you if you made it all the way to the end of this episode. You are awesome, by the way, if you did. But I hope you are well during this holiday season. I hope you continue to be well. I hope you continue to advocate for the rights of the people around you, especially your LGBTQ plus individuals, friends, neighbors, family, and others. Everyone around you deserves equal treatment and they deserve dignity and worth. Once again, my name is Ron Wachowski. Thank you so much for listening to this episode and for your continued support. And remember, you have one life. Make the most of it. And we'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.